Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Jessica Jones Podcast by Fantastic Geek, the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hiya, Pete. Let's go back to tense silence, I think. Jessica Jones, episode 105, a.k.a. The Sandwich Saved Me, is brought to you by Basic Blue Pedophile Kidnap Van Rentals. Mustache not included. Wow. Uh, Well, with that, Pete, let's not have any delay here. It's time for some surveillance. What did we see in the episode? Dateline, Matt, 18 months ago. Uh, Jessica Jones bouncing a rubber band ball, a massive one of that, off of her computer screen before her annoyed boss, who gets no name here, grabs it indeed pete i like that uh i like that we're going back in time this is essentially you know the jessica jones flashback episode Uh, i like that at first it appears she's a journalist uh clearly she's not very (laughs) deeply invested in this job unlike all other journalists and um yeah she's uh she's a little bit of a grumpy gus there with the boss uh needling her about the rubber band balls about stealing cokes etc but Pete, it turns out twenty-foot got... paperclip chain last week. Impressive. I, I, that it absolutely is impressive. But Pete, you know what else is impressive is that he has a penchant for expensive suits, as well as that non-existent uh, employee. And then what's the uh, what's the word, Pete? Yeah, is it the E word uh, or is it the F word? Embezzlement or felony? Just love how. A, Kristen Ritter in these pre, um, pre-Kilgrave flashbacks is able to give a happiness to the character while still giving a I-don't-give-a-bleep attitude that, yeah. that presumably has been with Jessica for a long time, maybe even before her parents' death. Um, but she's able to, to, to take that attitude, turn things around, and leave with six months severance and, Pete, a glowing recommendation. Yeah, um, despite the fact that her uh, boss is committing these horrible crimes. And you can see what made her ultimately settle into being a private detective, the ability to infer, if not figure these things out through documents, etc., etc. You know, he calls her a budding extortionist, that her parents must be so proud. This obviously... Uh, hits a nerve, and she hits one filing cabinet, which then knocks the other five next to it down, and then calls Trish because they got to hit up happy hour. It's five o'clock someplace. Even here, we kind of see this the slight seeds of, um, you know, she likes to drink, and it's not quite drinky drink time, but she's willing to go out. I think it's, you know, just a little bit of a, a tacit uh, acknowledgement of the uh, the furthering, you know. Uh, alcoholism if, if you want to go as far as to call it that but pete in the bar the guy uh, there's a guy there he sees trish he's a fan of the show when he had red, when she had red hair he even sings part of her theme song uh so kind of linking up a little bit there with uh, some of the info we have on trish well you know jessica had been talking about what skills she might put down day drinking on her next resume would that be experience or special skills uh, this gentleman who we find out through dialogue, his name is Bobby. Um, he was, uh, able to acquire certain skills with, uh, Patsy's help rather crassly 
bringing up um, his religious experience with the bishop. Yeah, that was, um, you know, if if there's a takeaway from these episodes in terms of the female perspective and whatnot, I, I hope that's not as common as I think some people might say that is because, wow, what a creep. And um, I'm, I'm glad he he gets what's coming to him. No pun intended there. Well, he wanted to play the love tester. Instead, he got the strength tester with Jessica. Really too good of an offer to turn down because she offers to meet the bishop. Uh, if she wins, of course, their tab is picked up and Trish gets an apology for the rudeness. He scores a 523. She, of course, scores a 999, a knockout, and uh, gets the really sad sorry and the tab paid there but uh you know that that uh jillian michaels 30-day shred did change her life (laughs) and again this is another example of how Kristen ritter gives the character this kind of upbeat happiness um there still is a little bit of a cloud over her head she's not the happiest person you've ever seen but it's just this is a markedly different jessica jones but not one that is unrecognizable uh to, to the the present day variety and she plays her with the requisite snark that it might be sad, but it's it's fun. And like you said, you, you can still feel the clouds, but nowhere near as heavy as the post Kilgrave. And, uh, you know, the discussion they, they continue to have in the watering hole there that she might use her abilities, that she can fly, well, jump more like guided falling here. Um you know, oh, you want to do it? Well, you put the cape and, and run around New York City. And, uh, you know, there's this aspirational angle to Trish that if she would do it, if she could, and she's the one constantly prodding at Jessica to, to make more of herself, uh, even though she's got the world um, on a string there, you know, she's she's got the money, she's got the look, she's got the radio show, adoring if creepy fans, what more can you want? She wants to save the world. Um, so shots on Trish Walker. Yeah, That's just how you thought- become a hero. <laughs> and, and, and I love how they have these different instincts here. You know, Jessica has the powers but no desire to help. Trish has the desire to help but is no hero. And it might, in other hands, be a little tropey. To me, this just comes off as this is the Jessica Jones that we know, kind of the reluctant hero. Um, and this is the Trish that we know, somebody who is good and decent and who's who is trying to change things with the tools she has. Um, and it's 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 just a nicely uh, nicely demonstrated here. Back to the present day, and as explained before. Uh, We get the narration while um, Jessica and Trish pour over the computer in their office that there's before Kilgrave and there's after the the human wreckage here. And we see the photo of Malcolm that was taken just six months ago, a far healthier looking person. Um, Hear him shuffling down the hall every morning at a quarter to ten like clockwork. She hadn't put it together uh, junkies are not known for keeping such schedules here, but, uh, she, he, uh, goes to Kilgrave, who's sitting at a table playing chess in the park. There's, uh, an envelope that, uh, Malcolm hands him. And then there's this look, Matt, which we'll, we'll return to a couple times, but, uh, Jessica, quickly hides she starts with her um 
mantra there, uh, Main Street, Bird Street, Higgins something drive. <laughs> and uh, she gets a needle out. But uh, Malcolm uh, then takes a smaller envelope. And uh, yeah, we're off to the races. It's it's an incredibly effective scene, not just for the potency of her seeing Kilgrave, not on the run, not in his hidey hole, not in the latest apartment he has uh, he's taken over, but just there sitting in the park. Um, it also is setting up the future times that she will she will trail Malcolm. Um, so so there's kind of that narratively that's being taken care of, even though we're not aware of it. And uh, with that, Pete, the story keeps on moving. Yeah, we learned that four months ago he had moved down the hall from Jessica and, um, you know, there's the the spying going on here. Um, there's the concern that uh, Malcolm might OD um, everything there. And then Jessica is tailing him again. Um, there's uh, some uh, woman here that... Uh, Suddenly, Jessica is talking to that a British man uh, told her to meet a man with a blue and white scarf and send him to the kiosk. So he's dealing with intermediaries here. He's obviously uh, wise that she might be following him, knowing her skill set. And uh, we see Kilgrave is pouring over a, uh, a magazine kiosk much to the chagrin of the attendant who uh, tells him it's not a library. And then Kilgrave very calmly, very rationally tells him to pick up the coffee and throw it in his face, which of course he does. There is such a, there's such a casual savageness to Kilgrave as I think is a really smart story addition. I mean, we kind of, we know how deeply uh, in, entrenched into Jessica's head he, he has gotten uh, we kind of understand that. We understand it, you know, perhaps being a, a, a metaphor for other things in the real world and and the intimate nature of all of that. But he's just so casual where, hey, this guy's bothering him. So as opposed to giving him some other order like you will be quiet now or something, right. it's it's to, to hurt this guy, but not even to see to stick around long enough to see the act happen. Uh, it's. It, it is especially useful in this episode because we're going to see later on that meeting the first time that that uh, that Kilgrave and Jessica meet, and it's it's David Tennant at his most charming. Now, obviously, charming as a bad guy, but I think it's kind of setting up here. It's just a little bit of a reminder just how careless he is towards other people because later on it's going to be you know he's going to be flashing that smile and doing it in a way that. To have him throw the coffee in the face, it could easily be an accident or somebody else could have done it. It it blends in with the, the fog of everything's going on at that time. And you mentioned uh, you mentioned that time in that place. It is such a tense scene, despite the fact that it is a very crowded morning in the park. I mean, it's there's almost more access to seeing people and being seen in the park because it's not the busy sidewalks and everybody's headed to where they have to get to. It's it's because it's a little bit more of a casual setting. It's all the more like here's the monster in the middle of the field and, and everyone can see him and, and still they're able to pull tension out of it. Uh, we cut to uh, Jessica leaving a message for Trish to check her messages 
She's drinking. She throws the bottle. There's a knock, and it's the neighbor from down the hall with the twin sister who gets a name for the first time, Matt. He does. It's Reuben, which is uh, the name of one of my favorite sandwiches and also one of my favorite characters on the show who I love to hate. And uh, Pete, he also has with him a banana bread. And uh, great, great moment there where, <laughs> do you want it? I don't like it. But she takes it. And then there's that use of the frosted glass door where she's yeah. so close to it that he can still see her. And he just watches as she eats it. And she's facing camera at this point. Gives a little shrug. Hey, it's not too bad. End of the scene. I want to stress again. Reuben and Robin are totally gross and totally weird. <laughs> and I would not want to know them in real life. But as an addition to this fiction, they are wonderful and amazing and just genius. And if they don't do anything with them, if there's no reveal that they moved in eight months ago to be another spy set, or if, if there's nothing more than they are creepy, weird, incesty twins, I'm okay with that because it just adds something to the show, despite the fact that it's gross. It's not the first time, Matt, I've heard you say you're okay with creepy, incesty twins, but we'll leave Game of Thrones out of it. Um, the 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 name, Ruben, an episode called The Sandwich Saved Me? I don't know, Matt. It, it's all connected. Um, but from a, a great cap to a small scene like that to an interesting start to the next scene with uh, Trish waking up? Um. I, I think something's waking up, Pete. Something's <laughs> something's heating up, and we'll just say uh, it's Trish. Oh my! And uh, who's uh, who's down below there? Well, it's as we'll learn in the next scene. I think no huge surprise. It's uh, it's Will Simpson uh, coming up, and uh, and and yeah, yeah, and Jess banging on the door there. Trish tells her to come back. Finally in there, they're talking, and Simpson comes out in his boxers talking about long-range sniper attacks and uh, the having to draw a target out, et cetera, et cetera. So it's it's game on now, um, you know, uh, that uh, she says, I or he says, I guess you're uh, over trying to kill me. Um and uh, that he says they're going to need a pistol up close and personal, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but Jess wants him alive. There's a girl in prison without proof of what she's done here. And uh, this is her call. I like that they don't waste a lot of narrative time showing Will and Trish slowly getting to know each other better. There is an intimacy between them that's beyond the bedroom in that this kind of shared victimization at the hands of Kilgrave. Um, there's there's this shared um, secret in the powered world that's out there and the extent of it that is just not, you know, billionaires with suits and weird kind of green guys and whatnot that it's 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 in their neighborhood. Um, and I like that they just kind of cut to the chase that, you know, he's a good looking guy. She's a good looking gal. They have a lot in common. They have they have emotional intimacy in common because of the, the 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 tragedy, and they can talk to each other about it. And 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 there they are. There they are doing doing things. Yeah, and she's got to be on air in an hour. Trish does, but uh, now that Simpson is with Jess, he's going to grab some pants, which she thinks is a great idea. And there's discussion about uh, using a dart gun that it would be the most accurate. Um, but there's concern that 
they're going to be seen coming here. Um, Simpson maintains that Kilgrave will not see him. Um, but Jones is pretty hesitant and uh, speculative here. You know, what's so great about you that they let you out of spec ops? But Matt, that's classified. Um, I, I like that they're that they're uh, dropping a potential uh, story thread there for his uh, for his background. I also like that you essentially have Trish arguing both sides. Um, she sees Will's value for the Kilgrave plan, given his military and police background, but she also wants to back up her friend. I just thought that it was a very kind of honest moment where these really are three equal partners in this plan, and Jessica doesn't want it to be that way, but Trish is kind of the uh, the intermediary. He takes her to a safe house, which... Uh apparently looks like a 70s furniture outlet but on the second floor there is a decommissioned cdc facility with a hermetically sealed room that uh while it's not utilized in this episode matt i'm guessing the set dressing we'll see it again um i not only would agree with that but i had wondered if perhaps maybe just maybe it was reused from the uh the movie set scenes in Master of None. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that, Pete, if our listeners have, but uh, there's a similar kind of hermetically sealed thing. Both shows shooting in New York, just wondering if there's a possibility there. But, heck, maybe it's all part of the larger universe and everything is all connected always at all times. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it seems like it, seems like it is uh, kind of set up there for future use. Um, the The... Conversation keeps going around with Jessica telling Simpson that he doesn't know anything when it comes to Kilgrave, and and finally he agrees with that. But he does know that tomorrow is too soon. Um, the detail that the hermetically sealed chamber is soundproof as well. They're going to do this on Sunday. Um, now, Pete, I have a question about it being soundproofed. Yeah. He mentions it, but I need more proof. Can the show give more <laughs> proof in case it's going to get used for later on? Uh, comedically, of course. Um, they're going to do this on Sunday. The detail that uh, Simpson will dart him and uh, Jess will grab him. His mile is six minutes. Hers, however, is under four. And then uh, the the banter... Uh, on the other side of the door here that G.I. Joe has a screw loose. He must have gunned down an entire village, which Simpson doesn't hear. And Simpson talking on his side of the glass about how, um, you know, he's seen heroes and Jessica Jones is no hero. And again, despite it being a humorous scene, despite it being potential commentary on the characters i mean it's not it obviously is not canon will gun down a village of people it's just kind of her supposition again it's the show hiding behind the comedy the fact that this is absolutely positively soundproofed and at this point in the episode on first watch i was like oh well we're we're you know we'll see if they ever bring him back here it seems like they will um as we'll discuss in a little bit the plan certainly advances farther than i would have expected but all the more proof that we are returning to this later on, the fact that they've said once and shown on both sides the nature of its soundproofing. Two for one hoagies, two for one hoagies all day. And Pete, what is better than a hoagie? How about a hoagie? 
who saves a little girl. Because, Pete, there is good in her. We can feel it. We can see it. She is the good salami in that hoagie or in two hoagies. I I take issue with hoagie. It's it's not a, a New Yorker thing. They are uh, sub sandwiches, maybe a submarine sandwich if we got to be formal. Hoagie, not a not a New York City thing. Pete, any sub shop in New York City that needs to hire somebody in an outfit to hand out flyers at nighttime, clearly they don't know their audience well. So to me, it's entirely <laughs> internally consistent. It's like, yeah. It's like, yeah. Love the saving of the little girl. We know it's going to happen, but the great little moment there. Hi, the the dad swoops in. Honey, I told you to stay with me. The sandwich saved me. Yum. With that, we cut to the present day. Malcolm is passed out in the elevator. Nice reminder there that there is this real toll of his addiction. Um, And uh, Jessica's there too. And then Ruben joins them. And given that Malcolm is a baddie vis-a-vis Kilgrave, and given that that means anybody is a suspect, um, there's just now this extra bit of tension with Ruben. Um, Ruben or Robin could, you know, could be baddies. He could be going in for the kill, Pete, but instead he asks her out on a date. Yeah, he wants to go to the movies sometime amid the lighthearted banter that this guy laying on the floor in the elevator might OD. So, you know, we we know that obviously Ruben is not quite on the same wavelength when it comes to this, but Jess is alert enough, given the sensibility and the sensitivity of this issue, to not give him the finger or respond rudely. Yeah, yeah, I I think she understands that he's a little damaged too. In in whatever way that is, he's a little damaged too. So, I mean, she is ultimately you know a good person as this episode is uh is certainly showing us time and time again so she's kind of you know she, she's given him a few fastballs in terms of not i don't know cutting him down with either wit or you know a, a fist to the face simpson has borrowed a van from a buddy which uh trish calls the basic pedophile kidnapping model um it's automatic, though, and she apparently could drive stick. She's a good driver, though, because like Matt, Simpson read that on her Wikipedia page. Wikipedia, of course, never wrong. And uh, he also <laughs> has learned other expositionally convenient things. And I say that with only a tiny bit of sarcasm because this is a completely organic time now that you've kind of, you know, now that you're expanding your relationship beyond uh adventures in the bedroom let's learn more about each other hey i learned more about you because you're a public figure not only can you drive well your family adopted a girl named jessica after that accident hey was it that accident that gave her the powers it's a hundred percent organic we've reached it 100 percent organic da, 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 da. <laughs> this is the kind of exposition that great writers should use because we as the audience need to be told this stuff most of the time in real life, you don't sit and actually have a conversation like this. But this is a time when you would. And we get some background, at least some suppositional background, um, in terms of Jessica's powers, how she met uh, Trish Walker, and so forth. Trish was also the highest paid child star in television history. And the admission here that she's had a pretty charmed life, nothing but sunshine and rainbows. But it's... 
not convincing coming out of her mouth. There's something else going on there. There's a definite edge and a sadness to Trish Walker. You know, I would agree, but I didn't have quite the same um, pessimistic tape on, take on it. Um, I just kind of read it as her outlining to him and thus outlining to us that they are all decent human beings. And despite their different powers and their different backgrounds and frankly, their different baggage, you know, whatever it is that he has, let's say he's mid thirties, right? So he probably was, uh, in, uh, in, uh, spec ops, you know, during some of the, the worst fighting of the two thousands. And he's probably, you know, seen horrors of war and so forth. Everybody has their baggage, but everybody has their best self. Um, and Pete, with that, we move from uh, Jessica Jones to an episode of Orange is the New Black, also on Netflix. <laughs> yeah. Um, first checking on Malcolm, who's sleeping, and then a phone call here. It's Hope. Um, she needs something. Uh, it's a collect call from Northeastern Correctional Facility. And uh, Jess heads down meets her and uh, hope wants to know if she brought it um jess notes that uh hope has lost weight that she looks sick but did you bring the money so the mystery quickly absolved um and then the idea here what are you going to use it for is this for candy is this for cigarettes we can have hogarth put money on your commissary account but then somebody comes to see the Hopester because their show's coming on, Matt. Who's that? That's Sissy. And it's time to watch their program. Um, I had wondered their a couple stories, of stories, Matt. I There's... think they call them stories. Absolutely. Well, you know what? Later on in this podcast episode, I'll tell you what I think is a story and a bit of fiction going on in this scene. But we'll get there in due course. Um couple of thoughts and maybe this is i mean i i genuinely don't know but i think maybe we have a slight weak point in the episode here can you just give an inmate money like on the table um especially if they're in in prison for being a murder suspect i mean it's one thing if it's you know you're serving your six months for blank but and it, and it's a minimum security prison she's a suspect in a double homicide i don't think that you can i don't think that you could just be like sure let me take out like, let me take out my bag of money. Heck, I doubt you could actually see them face to face. It would probably be through the glass would be my bet. Again, just kind of going off other TV shows and a bit of logic. Um, but I guess it's advancing the story or the supposed story that she needs the money. Otherwise, Sissy will be mad. Hope, however, Matt is pleading with Jess for this money here, um, which she gives her. And I think we'll forgive the... The story breach of, hey, here's cash in the middle of a of an open prison environment to communicate the point. But from there, um, we flash back to that time that Trish mocked up a superhero outfit for Jessica Jones. I mean, the future past Jewel. Pete, that's like when you do searches for Jessica Jones before the show was out. That's the outfit. <laughs> I haven't read the Jessica Jones comics, but I love that they're kind of calling back to yes. to her in the outfit. And that's 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 the outfit outright. Like it was an awesome, awesome moment with the uh, you know the white and the turquoise with the little diamond shape there that uh, Jessica says is only fit for trick or treating or kinky role play. 
Yowza. Hey, TVMA for a reason. <laughs> but uh, Trish says that it's going to be uh, lightweight, highly durable, waterproof, flame resistant, etc., etc. Um, and it's going to hide her identity. But then Jess makes Trish put the turquoise mask on and turns it sideways to illustrate why the mask doesn't work. We know that capes don't work, Matt. Um, that, uh, yeah, it's, uh, the superhero gig. Um, it's, it's just not going to happen. Somebody's seen the Incredibles. Um, but of course the question is, is Jess going to really do it? Is she going to be a hero? Um, Jess kind of puts a pin in it, but again, there's such a sweetness to her performance here in this pre Kilgrave portion of her life. Yeah, and that Jewel is a really slutty stripper name. And if she wore the costume, she'd have another name, obviously, because of what it would do to her anatomy. And I love that the two of them, this uh, this sistership, the the friendship they share, they can be they can be a little crude, but not overly so. Um, and it, it, it works in the context of the scene and really between these two actresses, Rachel Taylor does a, does a great job portraying that. Uh, and I, I think still that, that sadness, there's a reason why she wants to see Jess take up this, this mantle as jewel. It, it could be totally outrageous. <laughs> wow. With that, we cut to the third morning meeting that uh, Jessica is trailing. Uh, this, of course, the Malcolm Kilgrave meeting. Uh, this time they ride the elevator together. And there's just this wonderful, long, sad pause yeah. um, before he bolts. You know, He can't look at her. He's very twitchy. And he gets outside. You know, the, the scarf has be become the identifying um you know element of his clothing the blue and white scarf there and uh he tell i'm sorry she tells him to uh hang in there and uh he says yeah you too with that we cut to uh jessica in the van with trish and will and hey pete they're acting like heroes they're finally doing that thing that they weren't sure they were going to do 18 months ago um, there's a little uh, bickering between Will and Jessica and Trish suggests, as you referenced at the top of the episode, that they just return to tense silence. Yeah. And I like after the scene with the three of them where they're discussing the dialing of the conference number and, and checking the phones and everything there, that when it's Simpson and Jess, there's this understanding between the two of them Um she says, if Kilgrave gets me and he finishes the thought, I'll take you out. And uh, she says, I was going to say dark on me, but yeah, just shoot me in the head. And for Simpson, it's the same here. Certainly an acknowledgement that they both know the, the steep price that Kilgrave can make you pay. With that, we cut to the park. Hey, it's Captain America, or at least... Uh, kid in the captain america costume <laughs> um will is reading a copy of the new york bulletin and pete there's a headline there that's either says central america or captain america tragedy costa verde under siege so i guess we'll just uh stick a pin in that see if it pops up anywhere else in the mcu yeah but uh everybody's in their positions here and a uh, guy comes up to malcolm here we go uh 
He's exiting the park at 16th Street. There's an outdoor cafe at 16th Street and Union Square West. And Kilgrave is there already seated. And David Tennant, with, with just a look, no dialogue here, this look of utter contempt for Ika Darville's Malcolm and uh, easily the uh, most that uh, Malcolm's been featured in an episode, five episodes in here to the series. That look, it says a million words. And Pete, as this scene unfolds, to me, it was just incredibly shocking because I was convinced that somehow this wasn't going to work. And we see things starting to initially fall apart. No, he's going to recognize you. We're not in position, this, not the other. And then Jessica catches his eye and he he Kilgrave is actually shot by Will. The dart actually goes in. Kilgrave yep. is actually down. I was floored. I was as floored as Kilgrave was. Yeah, and I I love that they commit to it and and then write the out the way they do rather than the cliche. Oh, we just missed. He he ducked. He he scratched his neck and and he moved. Whatever it is, just throws him in the van. They head off and. Uh, no sooner do they get near um, uh, 70s Furniture Outlet Safe House. With you the mean the exfil location, Pete? Well, let's use the technical terms here. <laughs> it's the exfil protocol location. I'm not spec ops like you, Matt. Um, they get them there and suddenly they're taken out by a bunch of bodyguards as the closed captions refer to them with uh, cattle prods. And great pacing to the fight here because i think the audience assumption is oh you know okay fine trish is quickly dispensed with i yes. think that that's in line with you know i mean she she certainly is a capable woman and able to defend herself but this is not her territory but you have former military guy and the power of jessica jones it seems like they're going to pull this off and then just more guys keep pouring out and more guys yeah. keep pouring out and eight to one all with uh all with uh cattle prods or whatever the, the number is they do slowly overpower them and they get Kilgrave back. And as soon as they showed up, they're now gone and we're down to the three of them. Oh, wait, Pete, the three of them plus one goon. Yeah, Simpson cuffs one of them here. Uh, Trish says that she's sorry, but Jessica knows that they were outmanned. Uh, one tase to uh, <clears throat> to poor uh, Trish and, and she's useless. But uh, the guy's coming too. And, uh, hey, you know, let's uh, let's see what uh, happens here at that pain center uh, right below the kneecap. Pete, I love the reveal here that he is just a guard. He's private security, plain and simple. He's not brainwashed. Um, he's just pure security. He was hired by what they thought was just an eccentric, yep. you know, overprotective guy with a ton of money. It's something that I'm sure happens all the time when you're in private security. And... I mean, the show gives the opportunity for Will and Jess to debate back and forth. But I think by the end of that discussion, it's supposed to be clear to us because this guy's willing to spill everything. There's no narrative footprints or fingerprints, rather, that he has been brainwashed to say he hasn't been brainwashed. Like, he's just a security guard. Of course, Kilgrave would hire a backup and let the backup be security in plain not sight, just as private security would be. 
and to cover the story tracks that he will change it by the time that he wakes up, that it's no use trying to get the firm, trying to get all this information. And it's Jess that talks Simpson down that he will find, I'm sorry, that she will find Kilgrave that he's got to serve and protect. He's a cop. Remember? Which is a nice reminder because we haven't seen him being a good cop ever. You know, we've seen him as the cop who, oh, I wonder what will happen when he gets in the door and then he tries to kill Trish. So this reminder that he is a good cop who has, you know, a serious, legit military background, but has also advanced in the NYPD. He is a good guy with good skills. Uh, I like that they take this opportunity to kind of reinforce that story-wise. Back in jessica and malcolm's building she's heading back home and she hears uh his voice and a woman's voice there's negotiation of a drug deal talk about a tb oh that's not even hd what am i even going to do with a printer and then uh jess has heard enough she goes in there and she foils the deal which leads to a pretty interesting flashback matt and right before we get to the flashback, love the use of small details here. Malcolm is trying to get up and she's just kind of not it's a little bit more than a tap, but she's giving a push down and he's being shoved to the floor because they're they're doing the soft sell on her powers. Um super easy to do. You know, here's the direction. You give him a little push, you fall down big. And it just it's just his great reminder of her powers. Um and as you said, Pete, she can't save him again. Cut to a flashback where we don't see who's being mugged initially, um, but she saves somebody from a mugging. There's plenty of that, uh, you know, aforementioned power there with flipping and throwing and this and that. And uh, Pete, who ends up showing up on the scene? All right. Yes, it's Kilgrave with a Caucasian woman and the attractive African-American woman we've seen before that all he wanted her to do was smile. But uh, all of a sudden, Matt, they bore him. They leave. And here he was debating where he would go to eat. And if anything, we see here so brightly that that David Tennant charm that he is so capable of, everything that has been um, either held back or, let's say, not needed for the character that we've seen thus far, but everything that, as near as I can tell, is part of David Tennant the man in terms of his upbeat personality, that is all here in Kilgrave. And it's just so strange because if you know him from his previous work, to which Pete will now say... What work, Matt? Hamlet? Yes, of course. Yeah. Um, but if you know him from his previous work, um, it's the same. It's like, oh, it's happy memories. But wait, oh, but no, this is a bad, bad person. And Hamlet's a pretty dark uh, play, though, Matt. That, that, is, that, is, that is true. Um, one of these days, Pete, one of these days we'll have you see this, this TV show that he did. But anyhow, um, he, Kilgrave, is impressed that she doesn't have a superhero name. Um, and with that, Pete, they're off to go to that Szechuan place around the corner. And uh, then we cap off the scene. It was Malcolm after all. He was the victim. And uh, just the way that Kilgrave is able to needle his way in here. It's a great place to drop in their meeting. The, the heroism that she's showing, committing to saving this man from two muggers, one with a knife, the other you know, grabbing 
uh, a rebar at one point and to turn that into this really fateful meeting for her um, really, really well placed. Particularly when you kind of uh, trace through this idea of Trish saying to her, hey, you have this gift. Why don't you do something heroic? So now she's starting to commit in a super small way to helping people, at least if she sees something going on in front of her. And that then takes her down this dark path with Kilgrave. Um, I doubt they're going to go the route of, oh, Trish, you did this to me because Kilgrave then saw it. Like, that would just be a little hackneyed. But I like that it's kind of, it was with the best intentions that now she's being pulled back down. Um, and speaking of being pulled back down, we cut to the present day and Malcolm's being pulled back down to uh, her bathroom because he's handcuffed to a pipe. Yeah, but she's made him a peanut butter sandwich. It is not chunky. All she had was smooth. But Matt, I get the sense here that the sandwich will save him. Um, <laughs> I get the sense not because uh, he's about to go through a pretty rough detox here. And uh, we even get to see him have some of the throwings up, which is always uh, delightful to see on screen. Um, but I like that they make clear a particular story point in an episode that is about one's responsibility. He admits that the controls don't last all day, every day. Malcolm was going for the drugs as much as he was going to, you know, as a result of mind control. Um, so he was very much, um, I don't want to say willing cause I'm, I'm sympathetic to him as an addict, but right. he, he was, he, he was making these decisions to to trade drugs for pictures of Jessica. Um, and with that, Pete, he vomits and then declares Kilgrave will find them and kill them. So happy the days. That he was working, or at least her understanding, Jessica's, that he was working on social work as a career. And it all comes down to choice. That uh, he took the pictures um and Jessica offers him the out because he made you, but they met once a day and, um, you know, he made the choice to take them the same way he chose, uh, what led to his addiction. But he's worried, like you said, about Kilgrave finding him. Um, he wants the drug and, uh, she, she's going to let him make that choice that, uh, she can't save him, but tells him that, uh, she fought Kilgrave, that there was this tiny corner in her brain that she was trying to get out, that she's still fighting, that she won't stop. Um, but if Malcolm gives up, she loses. That he has uh, done this to Malcolm to get to her, to further isolate her, to make her feel the, the word used is like an infection, one more dead here on her conscience. And that he can save her for once with the choice it's it's an incredibly powerful scene i mean it's talking about how they're both uh they're both kind of consciously they've both been consciously victimized if you will um and, and this notion of uh the survivor's responsibility what is it uh what how did their choices contribute to it i mean it's 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 deep stuff it's dark stuff and um I think given the lack of Ika Darville's, um, you know, he's not the biggest star in the world here. So despite the fact he has his name in the credits, 
it's very possible here if we imagine we haven't seen the rest of the episode it's very possible he ot's and that's it you've hired some australian actor to be in the first five episodes surprise surprise he's dead um and that possibility being being an option here at this moment where she just leaves him and says you need to make this choice just i mean what a what a blow of a moment and then pete we keep the happy energy up we cut to trish at home loading a pistol (laughs) yeah and uh let's let's keep the let's keep the positive vibes going matt uh interior jail night uh sissy sneaking up and beating the crap out of hope why well we don't know just yet although i have a theory that we'll we'll discuss in due course um with that if we didn't have enough damaged people we cut to Kilgrave, bruised waking up somewhere certainly appears to be a new location um and he kind of looks at himself in the mirror pete and then he yanks out his own loose tooth pete that's tv code for i've been beaten badly but i'm a tough (laughs) son of a gun and i'll survive and he smiles at his own reflection um and then what happens next is uh well, it's it's going to be the source of much discussion, I'm sure. We cut to Jessica getting a phone call. Having tasted his own blood here and savoring it, he calls Jessica on her cell phone, which she takes. I was kind of surprised about that, but it does move the story forward. And uh, he tells her that he doesn't know about her, but he's exhausted, that this uh, was a rare exhilaration that he experienced um, in the uh, abduction attempt, he's got the bruise to prove it, which proves the deductive reasoning here is uh, pretty strong that uh, they want him alive. So tell me why. And Matt, we get some limitation on his power, which was really smart about this scene. It was, and they underplay it because with her not responding for so long, there is this question, you know, can, can he mesmerize uh, over the phone is the sound of his voice. No, there is this proximity required. Um, but still, he has such unbridled power w- without the um, without the, the 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 magic comic book end of it. Um, not quite magic, but you know what I'm saying. W- without that kind of extra fictional fictional uh, pixie dust, there, he's just teasing. He's prodding. He's playing. He's sadistic. He's charming at the same time. It, it's it's incredibly, uh, it's a disappointing start to the scene. And I mean disappointing in terms of how we feel, not it is a disappointing production, script, acting, anything of that sort. Um, he says that he'll leave Malcolm alone if Jessica takes over Malcolm's job, if she sends him a picture a day. Uh, say, send a picture, save the junkie. Wondered if that was a reference perhaps to... Uh, Another heroic show that Jeff Loeb worked on uh, before it crashed and burned, um, but sounds like an ad campaign. <laughs> that that is certainly true, and we see her wondering if she should do it. And Pete, here the key is: if she's going to do it, it is one hundred percent by her own volition this time. Yeah, and she hangs up on him. Um, the The deadline is ten a.m. Don't forget to smile and. Uh, you know, we finally get a uh, a chime, 10.03, I'm waiting, Jessica, and she scoffs. She throws the phone, goes in to watch Malcolm, sees that he's breathing heavy on the floor, that the bundles, the wax bundles are now in the toilet unused, and then we cut to Kilgrave, uh, 
who gets a chime and a picture of Jessica uh, rather uh, stoically. And he smirks, and we close out on the close-up of that picture. What suspects draw our focus in this episode? Pete, let's start with Malcolm. I love that we've finally got a, a real large chunk of Ikadarville in, in one episode, and he really does a good job of the, the torture of addiction that um, – you know, he's he's willfully going to it, but he regrets it so much. He regrets the damage that he's done. He obviously owns Jessica Jones for having been saved once before. And, uh, you know, how he's able to bring it around, will it last? We'll have to see. But, uh, you know, pretty good performance here and, uh, you know, difficult character to play. It definitely is. And... Uh... You know, somebody who I think we have been we've been sympathetic uh, to his addiction um, f- for a while. I think the probably most audience members have. I'm sure there's some people out there who are saying, oh, you know, he's an addict. That's that's you know too bad. You could stop anytime. You can get a program and hit a program anytime, that kind of thing. You then add to the fact that he's had to make this this terrible choice consciously. Uh, to me, it just adds both to the sympathy I feel for him and also just it makes him even <laughs> even less likable um, that, that he's doing this because of his addiction. How about Kilgrave here, Matt? Um, you know, probably the most we've seen him in an episode to this point. There's a direct confrontation with him for the first time in addition to seeing that fateful first meeting with Jessica Jones. We we do see all of that. To me, the 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 area of of most mental focus is how things end with him there. That we see that he just enjoys manipulating people. Um, that he's gotten used to it. Maybe that's because of his powers, but that he's still so happy to manipulate her at the end to a point where I think that we're we as an audience are supposed to have have lost faith in her to be disappointed in her i think the episode ends on an absolute emotional uh, low note um and that's all courtesy of him he he's enjoying going back over this scar that she has and reopening it and that's almost more dangerous than uh than somebody who who enjoyed putting the scar to begin with how about these bodyguards or thugs that they are not under Kilgrave's sway, that they were hired out? What do you think of that? Again, I buy it. I think that it's completely believable. I think that it also lets you have security 24-7 or whatever it is you've paid for you get. And it's not this thing of eh, usually it's 10 to 12 hours. Sometimes it's 13 if somebody is mentally weak. Who's the most mentally weak guy on the security detail? It's just hire them to do a job. Of course, they don't need a ton of details. Uh, I thought that that was actually smart writing there. Cryptology, where we uncover hidden messages and larger themes. Pete, let's let's start with kind of the elephant in the room here: the fact that the fact that she is now consciously being made to kind of relive portions of her trauma uh, what what's your take on all of that i mean it's obviously a weighty issue and a and, and a, a big issue 
this is a big issue in the social media age. I mean, obviously, pictures of, uh, you know, victims giving pictures to, uh, you know, their tormentors is not a new idea. But given the, the sexting that goes on these days, this is a really uh, current idea. Um, and for her having previously been a victim to be doing this, albeit in a heroic choice to save him, uh, when Kilgrave said that he'd let him go down his own path if she took over the job to put her in this position. And I think we understand, of course, she's the good person. She's, you know, she'll sacrifice herself for this. Uh, not without controversy, though. Before I kind of differentiated between being disappointed by the production versus being disappointed by what the characters do if we treat them as real people. And it's it's with the latter, the idea that we are profoundly disappointed in her decision here, where I think the show has has the show is brave to take it to this place five episodes in where hopefully we have a a reading on the character and whatnot. And now we can just really be disgusted with the result of her decision. And as you mentioned, Pete, it's for all the right reasons. It's to save someone. But, you know, we see through the metaphor of it and we see that it's her kind of, you know, re-victimizing herself. And it's it's just, it's 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 a really unpleasant way to, to end the episode. And thank goodness we can, you know, pop in the next one quickly and see see what, what comes next and not kind of sit on the sit on the yuckiness for a week. How about the extent of his powers being defined a little bit more, that it's gotta happen in person, that he can't do it over the phone? I think the menace from that earlier scene on the radio is is really decreased in retrospect that he couldn't tell everybody listening, all right, go jump out your window. Um I I agree with the last thing that you said that uh, he now can't you know go on TV go on radio and order hundreds of thousands of people to do something. I think that it's just the built-in kryptonite to his power. Uh, n- not that it's taking away his power. It's just it's giving us a limit under which we can work. He does remind her, Pete, that he could just show up at her door and make her do this, uh, make her share those pictures. So I think that yes, it decreases the volume of people that he can affect, but he could still walk out of that apartment, you know, uh, get while getting off the phone with her and say, you know, say to the first three people he sees, Hey, go to the such and such building fifth floor, you know, go kill the woman in there. You know, he, he, he could give orders, um, that, that could be far reaching and long lasting. Uh, he just chooses not to because of this, you know, absolute sadistic side that, that we see more and more each week. Pete, I have one for you. Uh, Hope being attacked by Sissy. Is that on the level or do you think there's uh, you think there's there's an ulterior thing going on there? The way the the context that we see the fear you thought initially there might be um, the protection type of scheme. Um, I got to wonder if there's some twist to that that it that it's not as simple as it's it's played out for um so i'm going to reserve judgment at this point here's my prediction having not seen uh not seen anything from future episodes i think it's going to be that 
Hope took it upon herself to get beat up and so that she could get sympathy or so she could get this or that. I think that it's going to be a hope-driven plan. It's also going to be a way to kind of bring Hope back into the story where she's kind of fallen out of the, the narrative for the last couple episodes. And, and that's understandable. This doesn't need to be all about Hope's case. But I think that um, it's a way to kind of bring her back into things and have her do more than, oh, I am a victim of this brainwashing. Oh, I'm a victim of the my circumstances and so on and so forth. It's a way to kind of show her being a little more proactive. And then on a light note here, Matt, with uh, some of the dark, dark topics in this episode, what do you make of the various jobs that Jessica has held down here? Are there any breadcrumbs there? Um. None that jumped out to me. Um, I, I, I think that uh, I think that certainly the the fact that she was floating around through different jobs certainly fits with the character. Um, but I didn't see any breadcrumbs. How about you? Well, she was a sandwich, so there were breadcrumbs. Wow! I walked into that one. Let's check our mail drop. Here's what you have to say. And Pete, we start with an email from Bob, um, who says, uh, very thoughtful, very lengthy email here. He says, your description of Robin's brother as the flying cap kid from a Christmas story is spot on. Uh, (laughs) My cap is off to you, Pete. That was your description. Um, I was trying to find a suitable descriptor for him, and that nails it. I can hear him telling Jessica that the Tin Man is his favorite. (laughs) Um, Man, I like the Tin Man. I like the Wizard of Oz. Um, uh, don't talk to me. <laughs> so, so in this metaphor, uh, Jessica is Ralphie. Uh, I guess so. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Um, with that, uh, Bob goes on to say, I have to disagree with your analysis that Detective Clemens asked a stupid question in Did You Know Hope Was Going to Kill Her Parents? Uh, and I wouldn't even call it low-hanging fruit, Matt. Let's use the phrase, run it up the flagpole and see who salutes. Detective Clemens isn't being the bad cop nor the jerk cop. He's asking questions into a situation he needs to understand so he knows how to proceed. And to get a grasp on the situation, uh, is this just hope or is it Jessica in, uh, or is Jessica culpable in some way? Having been an officer for many years, I have found you sometimes need to ask the direct question. Sometimes uh, or people have an innate uh, need to talk about an incident, explain their point of view, be understood. Sometimes you just need to open the gate to let the floodwaters flow. Same scene. I also like the slightly paranoid look uh, Jessica has when Detective Clemens looks away, gathering thoughts, and she uh, follows with her head, and you can read her mind, wondering, is Kilgrave behind the two-way mirror controlling the detective? So any thoughts there, Pete, on uh, Bob's words so far? Uh, he's a police officer, or at least claims to be. I, I'd, I'd like to see some ID, but, um, <laughs> you know, I, I will take his his word for it that, you know, that could work that way. My brother is a police officer and I will have to uh, check in with him. I am uh, a, a writer and a journalist. I've never seen a question asked like that in the time that I, I spent around uh, cops as a reporter. However, it doesn't mean it's it's never happened. I, I just thought from a from a writer's room perspective, it, it seemed a little overly direct, but I can get down with it. 
Bob continues and says, staying on the legal side, I really enjoyed how Jerry Hogarth manipulated the radio show. It's not only providing possible victims, but let the public give the mind-controlled defense some legitimacy by simply allowing the conversation to start, whether yay or nay. I love the very subtle tie-in to the up-and-coming Civil War movie, as seen by the newly dropped movie uh, trailer. People in Jessica Jones are claiming that they were mind-controlled to do things they would not normally do. Bucky Barnes was brainwashed and went through a mind reset many, many times, as evidenced in The Winter Soldier, and was made to do many bad things, even though those acts would seem to go against his ideals and values he held as a person-slash-soldier in World War II. Both will have ha- both will have a hard time proving their claims, and both could have uh, could be made to be held responsible for their actions. Uh, Bob wraps up in saying, "This is a uh, it, this is great that Marvel is facing this dilemma head on using the big and little screens. How do you balance public safety against personal or constitutional rights or a nation's sovereign rights? Does due process uh, apply the same way to powered persons? Which wow, that's a great question in and yeah. of itself." Uh, he says he was watching the first season of The Flash, and I saw what was a very big problem for me. Barry Allen and friends were locked up, locking up bad guys in the damaged particle accelerator without any due process or trial or oversight. They were judge, jury, and jailkeeper all in one, a very dangerous position to be in. Uh, Bob says, keep up the excellent podcasting. Fantastic Geek is a show with the highest quality. So wow. keep from those high praise words there to, yeah, this is a conversation to keep on having. What is... What is a, a a person's individual rights, uh, particularly if they're powered? Well, I, I think there might be some forthcoming legislation about that. <laughs> national or maybe even international? Pete? I think international from a fictional country. <laughs> um, so thank you, Bob. Yes. Bob Frost for that very thoughtful uh, thoughtful email and something we're gonna something we're gonna keep an eye on these uh, the rights of the individual versus the rights of the government. Really appreciate the perspective. Thank you. I have a couple of iTunes reviews, Matt, that were sent in for us. And uh, I believe we're going to pick a winner as well uh, for our next little drawing here for a uh, limited edition New York Comic Con Jessica Jones Daredevil comic. This review was left by Emulation. Uh, the headline is AKA brilliant podcast and it's five stars. It reads Netflix. Jessica Jones is easily one of the best shows I've seen in a long time. And this is easily the best podcast about Jessica Jones. The guys are clever, detail oriented. They know their stuff about the comics and they seem truly excited to be making quality audio content. I found this podcast by just searching Jessica Jones, and I'm so glad that I did because I'd never heard of these guys before, but now I'm excited for each new episode of this podcast, and I know I'll be listening to their other podcasts for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and for Agent Carter when that show comes back on. If you're looking for a podcast that not only recaps, but analyzes each episode of this remarkable new series with insightful commentary. Look no further. Wow. Thank you so much. Uh, part of the great fun of doing all the different Marvel shows is we kind of get to, we get, we get to pick up new people. We get to pick up yep. new people as new products, uh, as new shows come along. So, uh, so glad that, uh, emulation is on board there. And, uh, thanks for the kind words. Thanks for listening. Another review here, Matt, left by Clife. 
Headline is an in-depth soak into the purple world of Jessica Jones. Also five stars. And it reads, this podcast lets you soak into the episode with a great recap and analysis, especially for a show that has so many depths. This is a great companion podcast to the TV episodes. Only problem is that it's not going fast enough. I need more. More, I tell you. More, all caps. Great job, guys. <laughs> well, if uh, if only, if only, you know. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash Fantastic Geek. <laughs> that is true. That uh, that uh, that might not make the stuff come out that, you know too much faster, but certainly we go, we go pro on this. We we get them out much much faster. But that, that's that's going to take a lot. So if if you want to turn Fantastic Geek twenty four seven pro, the possibility exists, but just know it's it's going to take a little bit. <laughs> And uh, I mean, joking aside, there uh, this it, this is approaching the time of year where uh, where our uh, our yearly costs for storage and bandwidth uh, do occur. So, if you would like to help support the podcast financially, you can head over, as Pete said, to patreon.com slash fantastic geek. But uh, Pete, enough of the ad stuff there. Enough of the uh, the the you know putting out the money plate. Instead of taking in, let's give. <laughs> what are we gonna give? Pete, we are going to give away the second of three uh, Jessica Jones Netflix comic books given out at the uh, Jessica Jones panel at New York Comic Con. I have it right here. Also a uh, special appearance in it. And it's not long by any stretch of the imagination, maybe eight pages, but special appearance by Netflix's own Marvel's Daredevil. Um, And uh, Pete, the way it's worked is people who have uh, given us reviews um, and been in touch to share their, their iTunes name, put all the names in the hat. Do you have the hat ready, Pete? I do. Give it a little shake, Pete. Who is our winner this week? Our winner this week is the eloquent emulation. Ah, congrats, congrats. I'll uh, I'll certainly be in touch to send that out this weekend. And uh, Pete, one more chance to get that review in if you're looking for the third comic. Certainly the uh, iTunes review box uh, remains open throughout the entire Jessica Jones podcast run. Yes, and uh, the the other thing about reviews, you know, you you help others find us as well, and and that's, you know, in terms of the fandom, the really reciprocal angle of this. So we thank you for uh, for doing that. And Pete, there are some people who would say that the greatest thanks that you could possibly have is to interact with you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter P I E. T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R-6775. K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, Followers can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter, as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast in a whole host of ways. We are Fantastic Geek. That's uh, fantastic with a PH. You can find us under that name on the Gmail, the dot com, the Twitter. Also, our listener line, 732-707-1815. You can leave a message for up to two minutes on uh, any of our variety of uh, geeky things that we podcast. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek. All one word with the PH. Like us today. We're here to stay. Well, Pete, we will be back on Sunday with the next episode of the Jessica Jones podcast. Then uh, following Tuesday for the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. That is, if you're listening to this, on the pop culture podcast feed that gets everything that we do. 
Uh, if you're just listening to us on the Jessica Jones feed, that's fine too. We'll uh, keep on cranking these out Sundays and Thursdays until uh, the end of the calendar year and the end of season one of Jessica Jones. But Pete, with that, I will say arrivederci to all our listeners and give you the final word. Send a picture, save the junkie.